blue skies, white fluffy clouds, sand between your toes and sea breezes playing with your hair. And of course, the warm Indian Ocean lapping the golden beaches of the KZN South. The KZN South has a special, special place in so many people's hearts. And it is often that holiday that Durbanites took, packed their bags and went across for that big family holiday. We're chatting to a few people today, and our first interview is with John Miller of the Shark Cage Diving Company. And John is considered to be somewhat of a seasoned, and I don't want to say an old hand, John, because then that will give away your age. But John is definitely one of those people who has extensive experience in the scuba diving industry, having been there for the last 25 years. And he offers quite an unforgettable shark cage diving experience in Durban's Alawal show. John, welcome to Jet Setting with Janet. It's such a pleasure to have you on the show. And thank you for the tremendous high that I experienced when I was there with the rest of the KZN Media Tour. So, John, I have uh, a couple of questions for you. And the first thing I want to ask is, why would you put yourself in cold water in a cage every single day and make this your business? Yeah, the thing is, we don't have cold water. Yeah? It's the Indian Ocean. So, I mean, generally, our water throughout the year is warm. And uh -huh. it's also one of those things where um, we can actually do the cage diving throughout the year. So, the water is nowhere near like Cape Town or anything like that. You know, even though the air does get colder in winter, yeah, the sea still stays warm. Um, you know, you get to 19, 20 degrees um, in the winter, then uh, summer up to 25, 26. So that's why we can do it all year round. We've got sharks all year round. Um, so yeah, a perfect place to do the shark cage diving. And that's exactly the answer I wanted because KZN is all year round summer. And I'm speaking to you from a very cold and we've had some extremely cold weather in the Western Cape. We went out this weekend to see the snow and, you know, we've had lots of snowfall, obviously not as much as Gauteng, but we're used to cold water and uh, it's it's just refreshing to hear that you can dive all year round because of the warm weather. So, John, you've been doing this for the last 25 years. Has the business been in operation for 25 years or how did you come to this? Yeah, so basically, we started with the scuba diving. It's over 25 years now. But anyway, we started with the scuba diving, um, diving the Alawal Shoal, and diving quite a few reefs that we do have out here. We've got spectacular diving um, on, this, on the scuba side of it. And then we also get um, the migration of the ragged tooth shark, the shark you find in aquariums. They also come here in the winter. They actually come here to mate. Um, the females normally arrive in June, the males in July. So that was quite good, you know, for obviously on the shark diving experience. Then we started getting quite a lot of tiger sharks coming in. And once that started happening, we obviously there was another two guys that I worked with. And uh, we used to go out and bait and to see what their reaction would be with us. Mm -hmm. And once we finally realized that we could actually work with them, that's how the shark diving actually started yeah, with the tiger sharks and the bull sharks. And then we were also just lucky that we started getting quite a bit of um, oceanic black tips coming into our waters, spinner and dusky sharks. After that, so I started the cage diving about, you know, I'd say 13 years now. Um, but we were, I was actually out at sea. We were doing a documentary with National Geographic and uh, we were just I trying to. I saw that you've worked with National Geographic and Animal Planet. How special is that? Correct. No, no, it really has been. 
So we were doing a few different things. And the minute, the next minute, I just thought, you know, why aren't we doing cage diving here? We've got so many sharks. We can dive throughout the year. And it was generally one of those where every, you know, I told a few locals that I've worked with, and they all said, no, you're crazy. It'll never work here. Yeah. So I basically got my website set up, got things set up, and yeah, I never looked back from then. Um, obviously, we all battled with COVID, the whole tourism industry and things like that. So mm-hmm. we were just very lucky to still be afloat. But yeah, so that was the start of the cage diving. And then the thing is with the cage diving as well, you know, anybody from the age of six years old can do it. Non-swimmers can do it as well. Um, so, you know, so it gives you that whole, so many people can do it, families, everybody, even we, you know, we take people out there, Cornwall paraplegics and things like that as well. So mm-hmm. whereas with scuba diving and other forms of diving, you generally need to go on a course and things like that. So no, it is good. I must say that uh, shark cage diving is one of those aha moments. Once you've done it, you feel like you've caught, crossed some kind of Rubicon. Certainly for me, it was like that. And I'm sure you have people who probably come to celebrate special things. They are getting engaged or they've changed jobs. Married, yeah. Married, yeah, exactly. proposals in the in the cage. You yes, probably have yes. stories for days for us. <laughs> Yeah, no, we see it all, yeah. You know, even the other day we did a shoot with uh, Nasty C, a uh-huh. South African musician. We've done, we've done quite a few with some musicians around the world and things like that as well. Okay, then also just different small little documentaries with guys from Australia and from the UK. So it, it, it is nice to meet people from all, over, all around the world. Absolutely. And, and I good. do believe that South Africa mm-hmm. is one of the few countries in the world where you can dive with sharks in the open water. And we have such a variety of, of no, it is definitely, yes. No, it is. I mean, I can definitely see that the, the populations have decreased in, a, you know, for what we used to have years ago. But mm-hmm. in saying that as well, that, you know, we're working in the ocean, we're obviously not in a zoo. So every day is completely different. Um, you know, it depends on what food's about, what's happening in the ocean. That also just changes their behavior quite a bit. But no, we are very lucky. You know, generally you can dive with anything from a minimum of five sharks to 20 sharks on a dive. Now, I see that you need to have at least a minimum of four people in the cage because of the cost associated with diving. That's correct, yes, to do a launcher. So we need four participants there. I mean, that's obviously the cost with fuel. People don't realize, you know, with the, with the motors, you know, the, the, the dive site's eight kilometers away, we, and so it's 16 k's there and back. Um, and just with that, you're using um, almost 38 liters of petrol where you could actually drive to Joburg in a car, you know, a small car, <laughs> we get you to Joburg and back. So people don't realize the cost involved here. You know, Absolutely. Yes, you've got insurance, public liability, and you have to maintain safety um, standards. Will you share with me no, what exactly. those safety standards look like in terms of the, the, the cage dive? Well, basically, I mean, before we, we've obviously, people, let's just say, for example, people come to dive with us in the morning and we'll obviously get them up, they get wetsuits. Um, we'll make our way down to the boat. Before the boat launches, the skip will do a briefing on safety, where they can hold, what they must do. And obviously, every day, we, obviously, the briefing is always the same. If we do have a bit more wave, you know, then um, we'll obviously tell the people to always look forward, hold on tight. And and then, obviously, once we get up to where we work in the area, we will drop the car. When we're ready, and um, well, before we do that too, we just do a briefing on the actual cage staff, where we do a little demonstration. Have to put their feet, 
Um, and obviously, once they're climbing in the water, they'll see it. But obviously, we do a pre-briefing too, um, not to put their hands out the side of the cage, obviously, if there's anything wrong or not. And once they get into the cage, I've got a safety diver. They will basically just go through everything that was said on the boat. Um, and then as far as, you know, because we also do the snorkeling with sharks, but with the snorkeling, you obviously need um, snorkeling experience. And when I say that, you need to know how to, you know, move properly in the water and obviously be comfortable. Um, and then that, that you also have a safety diver. Um, so, you know, yeah. we basically, you know, you've got to cover all the bases. You've got to be strict and things like that because we are working with sharks. But, um, you know, I touch with everything's gone well for so many years, yeah. Yes. And is this the only service offering in the business or are there other types of marine offerings that you have? Uh, basically, I just, I just do the cage diving and then we will do, for example, fun rides. You obviously get the scuba diving. I know there's one or two guys, um, more, um, St. Lucia. I think Shelly Beach still, they do the whale watching. Um, the only thing with that, permits are very expensive for that, so not everybody does that. But, you know, we basically, generally most of the stuff on the coast has all got to do with the ocean. So, especially, you know, whether it be swimming on the beach, coming out on a boat, try diving with sharks, scuba diving, fishing, you know, it's all, yeah. So, yeah, that, and it really, you know, if you see what the cage diving did for Cape Town as well, I mean, you know, we'd never compete Absolutely. with that in terms of, you know, they get the great whites. But, you know, on the other side of it, too, is we get a lot of people coming from Cape Town now, they come down with us. And also that's because of sea conditions. Sea conditions can change. Um, just an example, today's the first day we've been out now and five days again. So last month was extremely bad with sea conditions as well. So that does knock us quite a bit, you know. If the, if the sea was flat, you know, like we also always say, if the, the sea was flat every day, we'd have everybody doing um, ocean stuff. But, um, you know, it is one of those things. It's a, it's, it's a good lifestyle. And, yeah, you know, obviously interacting with the animals every day, especially now in the winter, we've got the humpback whales have just come on their migration from Antarctica. Oh, so they come in to have the kids that? because when the kids are, you know, when the kids are born, they've got no body fat. So they come and actually stay in our warm waters, go as far as Mozambique and then turn around and go back to the Antarctica again. They normally leave here. Some years we see them here until November. We've had them scared off once or twice where we've had the orcas come down our coast. So when the orcas are on the water, they basically chase everything away. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, the whale migration is really is really nice, and it's one of those two where, I mean, basically we whaled in South Africa. To, I think it was until nineteen seventy four, nineteen seventy five. Um, that's why we had all the great whites in our waters those years. And off Rocky Bay, where we actually launched our boats, that was also a whaling station. So that's just a bit of history about Rocky Bay too. And yeah, like I said, nineteen seventy four, nineteen seventy five, they they stopped the whaling in South Africa. That's interesting to hear. So, John, you obviously have an intimate understanding of those waters, and I'm sure that you play host to all kinds of adventurers, those that are really nervous and have been dared to do this by somebody else. And then you have the adrenaline junkies exactly. who keep coming back for more. What for you in, in your years of, of running this business has been some of the highlights? You know, you've navigated many different waters, but what would you say is one of them? Yeah, I mean, it's... And it's like you say, I mean, you get so many different people. I mean, look, you see, we also offer videos and photos of the dive as well. And that's it too. We can't all be the same. So you'll get people that come out and they just want that photo and DVD, you know. That's what they want and show their friends. Obviously good for marketing and things like that. Then you get the person who really loves sharks. And obviously they're on the educational side. They get to learn quite a bit about them. And that's one of the reasons the East Coast diving, to get people in the water, in the shark's natural environment and Obviously, teaching them their behavior 
and just making them a little bit less nervous, but also at the same time as people can misunderstand sharks, a wild animal that can bite at any time. I mean, you get these big guys that are the biggest bodybuilders. They'll come on the boat, you know, they arrive in the morning. And then as he's about to jump in the cage, the guy shakes like he's seen a ghost, you know. So you get that as well. But, um, yeah, I mean, you deal with all kinds of people. It's, it's, yeah, it's good. Well, for us, it's certainly been an adrenaline rush. We had three days of everything that is extreme adventuring. And we really love yes. the warm weather and the experiences on the KZN South Coast. And what a pleasure it's been chatting to you today as you explore with us the extreme adventure of shark cage diving on the KwaZulu-Natal South Coast. Thank you so much for joining us, John Miller of the Shark Cage Diving Company. We're chatting this afternoon to Mark Brandt, who is from Selston Park Estate, which is a beach horse riding facility on the South Coast. And some would say that the only way to truly get in touch with nature is to climb on a horse. Mark maintains that Selden Park's horses are some of the happiest horses on the South Coast. We're going to chat to him and ask him why. And that a happy horse means a happy customer. This estate really has pride of place and has the most staggering views. It's situated from Shelley Beach on the Hibiscus South Coast in KwaZulu-Natal and is between Trafalgar and Marine Beach and is only 15 minutes away from Margate. It sits very close to the San Lemire Eco Estate and offers everything from a swimming pool on site, horse riding and beach rides. And there's also golf at any of the six golf courses in the area. And Trafalgar and Marina beaches are within 10 minutes. Yeah. Mark, it's great to chat to you. We didn't get to meet when we were there as part of that media contingent. But I think we met the rest of the family. And I must say, it was such a pleasure being there. We have Instagram-worthy pictures from our visit. And uh, people started off a little bit nervous and ended up quite elated and full of jubilation as they returned from their one-and-a-half-hour drive out. And it is a special thing to be able to do this kind of experience and leave people with a positive impression. Mark, welcome, and thank you for joining us today on Jet Setting with Janet. So, Mark, we've had the experience. We've done the ride. Please tell us for you, you know, as the business owner, how long has this estate been in operation? We've been doing the horse rides on the beach now for probably about 20 years, Janet. It all started out with my daughter, Kelly, doing horse riding lessons. And then obviously every little girl's dream is to have a pony of their own. We got her own pony and then... Uh, my wife, Megan, would then follow her around on foot behind this pony <laughs> that was riding around the farm with my daughter on. And then my wife decided, no, she needed a horse as well. So she, in turn, we bought her a horse, and then the, the two of them went riding out together. And there's a bit of history behind the whole beach ride thing. I, as a child, back in the early 80s, late 70s, early 80s, used to ride on the exact same beach, and I had... Uh, some friends who'd always come to the farm and I had horses back then and we rode on the exact same beach that you all rode on when you came to visit and it was always an amazing thing to do um, we even went and swam in the lagoon at Impanjati on the horses way back then 
And then to give a bit more history behind it, my dad, as a youngster, also rode on the same beach. And that would have been back in the in the early forties. Um, he he would have ridden on the exact he rode on the exact same beach with his horses. Oh, phenomenal! So for, it's a legacy beach, Mark. Yeah, our family's been here since nineteen twenty, and um, we've owned the farm here. So I'm I'm third generation. My son Justin, who I'm sure you met, is yes, fourth generation. And so it's been like a a very well known thing or something that we've always done is the the enjoyment of riding on the beach. So the business then grew. There was a stable yard across the road from us, Silver Oaks, and they unfortunately closed down. We then took over some of their horses and we were offered their SIM card with their phone number. And obviously all the advertising was out there already for their horse riding business. So we, we, we were given their, their, their phone number and then the, the phone never stopped ringing. So uh, we decided then to get some more horses. And at that point, it was a debate about what kind of horses to get. And we decided to follow the draft horse, the cart horse route, for a couple of reasons. Firstly, the temperaments uh, of the Percherons and the Shire Crosses, are they're very laid back. They're very chilled. They're not racehorses. They are cart horses, big, heavy horses. So we cater for all levels of riders, from beginners to experienced, from people who weigh a couple of kilos to somebody who's up to 140 kilos to carry our bigger clientele. Uh, As you know, a lot of South Africans are very big boned and are, in general, South Africans are are big people. people. Um, So we're able to carry them and, and they're able to do the beat ride. And so by using the Percherons, these big cart horses, which were used and are still used for farm work down on the Cape, they use them between the vineyards for, for scarifying between the vineyards. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, a, there's a farm up in near Richmond where they have four Percherons and they use the Percherons in the forest for pulling the logs out of the forests. So the, the, the Percherons were mainly used and bred for that purpose, for doing farm work, plowing, putting uh, carts, putting timber out of the forests. So we have a string of, of 21 horses, and primarily the majority of them are, are cart horses. We then have a string of ponies amongst that, and our ponies are obviously for the children who, who come on the rides and our much smaller clientele. And um, they're all very well-schooled and well-behaved, and people really get a, a great experience when they come here to us. Well, Mark, I must say that the horses looked really healthy and happy. And uh, we were quite a large contingent of people in varying sizes. And I think that the team on the ground matched up the horse with the rider very beautifully. It was one of those really revealing moments when you head out through the wetlands and then you head down to the beach the terrain changes, and as the terrain changes, the quality of your ride changes, and the temperament of the horse just seamlessly seems to fit in with what is required. And and they looked to me to be very experienced. And that comes, obviously, from the care and the training that goes into this experience from your side and the rest of the team. What does that actually entail in order to get the horses to that level of comfort and calm? Janet, it's, it's hours and hours of schooling. 
and teaching the horses what we require of them. But primarily the, the, the Percherons, the draft horses, the big cart horses, their temperaments are, are like that already. They are very calm, very chilled horses. And they just are, are out there to please you, so to speak. They, they're just very happy doing what they're doing. Um, yes, they seem very content, yeah. I must say. And we obviously what's important is is with your horses to make sure that they are in very good condition, especially in the public eye. I, I pride myself to have the fattest, biggest trail horses in the country. They are all extremely large, these Percherons. They, they are grass-fed. We, we have lots of paddocks, so they all live out in paddocks. They mm-hmm. are given sugarcane tops every day. They, they get their sugarcane tops brought into, into the paddocks. And the sugarcane top is the green top part of the sugarcane. So when we're harvesting, the green tops stay behind in the field, and we pick up those green tops and we feed those to the horses. And there is obviously a certain amount of sugar in that. Nothing like what's in the bottom end of the sugarcane on the, on the actual sugarcane stick. And that to them is really a treat every day is to get their sugarcane tops. We don't stable any of our horses. All of our horses live out. We don't bring them in at night into their stables, which is also very important. A horse eats for 20 hours a day. And now you put him in a stable, you give him one hay net, come an hour or two later, he's finished his hay neck, and the poor guy is now hungry and it has to stand there and dies of boredom for the rest of the, for the rest of the night. So by leave, letting them live a natural and be in a natural environment as we do, they, they really do well with that. That obviously is the secret, is the sweet treat, the ability to roam freely and be at ease in the environment. I think all of that contributes to the well-being of the horse. And we definitely did pick that up as riders. Uh, That was very clear for us that these are not horses that are under any kind of threat. They definitely are comfortable. They are well cared for. And I think that that is one of the key things is that when you are rearing horses and you're providing this kind of service, that you actually do it in a way that is equitable, that is responsible, and that people that translates down to people who are experiencing it. Mark, we've heard yeah. about how the horses are reared, their treats and what they enjoy. Your family is also very well equipped to deal with all kinds of riders because there were riders at different levels of capability and they were first-time riders. And everybody seemed to have an excellent experience. Please tell me what goes into that part, you know, the customer care kind of part. Um, as you obviously are aware, dealing with customers is a, is a very difficult thing and one has to be very careful in how you deal with your customers. I I'm a very direct person, and I tell the people exactly what we offer and exactly what to expect. There is no hidden agenda or anything that is not disclosed to them. This afternoon, we have um, two families out, one with two young kids. The, the, the one young rider is five years old, and the elder sister is seven years old. Those mm-hmm. two are on on two ponies. The seven-year-old is on your own pony, and she's... Um, not on a lead range. She's allowed to to go and canter down on the beach if she wants to. Whereas the younger child is on a lead, so one of my guides will lead that child so that they their pony is under control. We don't really want a pony taking off down the beach with a little five year old that doesn't know how to ride. But the kids that do know how to ride, it's a very open ride. Uh, all we do ask, 
all riders is once they've turned on the beach and they're coming home, is to walk home. Uh, this old famous story of, of, of horses, once they turn and they know they're coming home, they take off because they are expecting a meal back at the stables when they get back. We do not feed our horses when they get back to the stables. We feed them before they go on the ride. So our whole trick is you feed the guy before he goes on the ride, so he goes out with a full tummy, so he doesn't feel that he has to race back to get some food. And that, that also, and I and I also, wondered why the they were yeah. being fed before, but now I understand. Yeah, um, the Berg horses. Unfortunately, a lot of the Berg uh, resorts that do the horse riding out, and I've done some of those rides, and my wife and daughter have done some of those rides. And the minute those horses turn, they know they're coming home. They race home, and there's no ways of stopping them. And it's because the minute they get back to the stables, they get a meal. They get fed. They're hungry. They get fed. My horses are not hungry horses. They are. They have grazing twenty four hours a day. They have the cane tops. They get fed on the before they go on the ride. They get their concentrated feed. That makes a big difference to the whole temperament and the well being of the horses. Is the fact that they are, are not hungry. They're well fed and. As you can see by our pictures and, and the experience you 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 had, how, how big and fat these Percherons really are. Well, Mark, it was really a very pleasant experience being there. The landscape is amazing. You know, new vistas are revealed as you ride. And it's one of those things uh, which was on our very first day of being on the adventure trip and uh, certainly gave everybody a sense of, you know, oneness with with nature. The the sun afternoon sun was lazy in the sky. It was setting. Everything was warm and cozy and beautiful, and uh, it really was a very memorable experience for us. So, we'd love to thank you for the experience and also for joining us on the show today, Mark. It's been a pleasure to chat to you, and I hope that our conversation brings more interested and interesting people to come and ride those amazing horses at Selston's Park. Oh, thank you very much, Janet.